Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com. This is Antiwar News for Friday, February 24th, 2023. All right, so the first story at the top of Antiwar.com today is actually some good news. Uh, Matt Gates has introduced a war powers resolution to pull U.S. troops out of Syria. So Gates, the Republican House representative from Florida, he introduced a war powers resolution that would order President Biden to pull all U.S. troops out of Syria. And this came after four U.S. troops were were reported injured in a raid against ISIS in the country. So in a statement that Gates released when announcing his resolution, he said, quote, Congress has never authorized the use of military force in Syria. The United States is currently not in a war with or against Syria, so why are we conducting dangerous military operations there? President Biden must remove all U.S. armed forces from Syria. America first means actually putting the people of our country first, not the interests of the military-industrial complex, end quote. So he said the purpose of the resolution was to see where Congress stands on the U.S. military presence in Syria, to put it to a vote, to see what... uh where the parties, you know, end up. According to a press release from Gates's office, the War Powers Resolution is privileged, which means that the House will be forced to vote on it within 18 days of its introduction. And the press release said that it was introduced on Tuesday. So that would put the vote, they have to vote, you know, by mid-March. So Gates uh, talked about this to Fox News. He said, quote, since the invasion of Ukraine, we have seen We seem to have turned our attention away from some of America's entanglement in Syria. And the purpose of my legislation is to force members of Congress to vote on record regarding whether they think we ought to continue Obama's war in Syria, end quote. Gates criticized progressive Democrats for supporting U.S. involvement in Ukraine, and he said he wanted to see where the anti-war coalition in Congress falls when it comes to the Middle East. He said, quote, is it more on the right? Is it more on the left? Is it some amalgamation thereof? But this resolution will test who is truly adherent to what I believe is America first foreign policy and who continues to believe in Middle Eastern adventurism, end quote. So in July 2022, the House actually did vote on something similar. It was an amendment proposed to the National Defense Authorization Act by Representative Jamal Bowman from New York. He's a Democrat. And this this amendment would have cut U.S. funding for the U.S. presence in Iraq within one year if President Biden didn't get authorization for the war. The amendment failed, but it did show, you know, where people stand. And it was actually Democrats who voted mostly in favor of it. It was 60 percent of House Democrats voted in favor of that amendment. According to the House clerk, 130 Democrats voted in favor. Only 25 Republicans supported the amendment. So a lot of people voted against it. It failed pretty badly. But again, it showed, you know, who uh, supports uh, ending this war or winding it down. Gates noted that the presence in Syria risks sparking a wider war as U.S. troops have encountered Russian soldiers in the country. He just talked about the risk of it turning, you know, because Russia has a presence there. Iran also has a presence there. That's something I always talk about is how, you know, these U.S. bases often come under attack 
and uh, there hasn't been many casualties lately, but again, it always risks. It's a tripwire for a big war in the region. And the U.S. has about, I always see the number, it's either 900 or 1,000 troops in Syria. And the U.S. also backs the SDF, which is a Kurdish group. And, and by doing that, the U.S. controls about one-third of eastern of Syria of in the east that's that's a good chunk of the country and you know the Syrian government doesn't want it so it's it's an occupation and on paper you know nominally this is about fighting ISIS and the US has stepped up operations against ISIS uh, recently but really this is part of the economic war against Damascus as the area that's of Syria that the US controls is where most of the oil is if you remember in 2019 trump said he was going to pull out but then he reversed the decision he said we're going to stay we're going to secure the oil we're going to keep the oils what he said and on top of the occupation as i always talk about the u.s has crippling economic sanctions on syria specifically designed to prevent the country from rebuilding after war the u.s issued a 180 day waiver on these sanctions for transactions related to relief efforts following that really horrible earthquake that has killed over 40,000 people, mostly in Turkey, but still many thousands in, in Syria. And UN experts say, you know, the waiver is not enough. The U.S. should lift all the sanctions. So it'll be interesting to see where this uh, resolution goes and, and who supports it. Um, you know, there could be an, a good opportunity to really push this thing. And hopefully Gates is going to work with some Democrats on this, you know, progressives that I think, even though they've been really bad on Ukraine, I think a lot of them will still support this and not just progressive democrats again 60 percent voted for that amendment so he could find some good support for this across the aisle and i'm sure a decent amount of republicans would support it not sure if it would be enough to get it passed but we'll see how it goes and there's going to be a vote and i'll keep you updated on it if there's any sort of action related to this um i'll have more information for you on monday but yeah, I mean, it's, it, this is good news, I think. And Gates, you know, he's the one he introduced that Ukraine fatigue resolution that called to end U.S. support for Ukraine. Um, so he's been pretty good lately. Uh, I just hope that he, uh, you know, keeps it up when it comes to, um, you know, China and Taiwan, which most Republicans are really bad on. Uh, but right now, I think, you know, supporting getting behind this war powers resolution is really important. And it's encouraging to see this here. Uh, all right, the next one here, the U.S. to expand its military presence in Taiwan. So speaking of China, uh, according to a report from the Wall Street Journal that came out on Thursday, the U.S. plans to deploy between 100 and 200 troops to Taiwan in the coming months, which doesn't sound like much, but that would quadruple the U.S. military presence on the island. And it would mark the most significant deployment of U.S. military forces to Taiwan in decades and it risks provoking China. The U.S. has sent military trainers to Taiwan since 1979. So the U.S. severed diplomatic relations with Taipei in 1979. The U.S. used to have bases in Taiwan. They had a mutual defense treaty that ended then. They pulled troops out, but they still sold them weapons, and they would send like a few dozen military trainers. According to the Wall Street Journal, the U.S. presence last year was 30 troops. So going from 30 to 100 or 200 is is a significant change. Um, and the purpose of the deployment would be to train Taiwan's military on U.S. weapons and to prepare for a future conflict with China. U.S. Special Operations Forces and Marines have been sent to Taiwan in recent years for this purpose. But again, small numbers. And the U.S. National Guard just began training Taiwanese troops as well, both in Taiwan and in the United States. 
again, similar to, you know, Ukraine after the 2014 coup that the U.S. backed, they started sending, you know, these small numbers of troops to Ukraine to, to train uh, Ukrainian forces and other NATO countries did as well. And so this small U.S. military presence that that is usually in Taiwan, again, these few dozen U.S. troops has always been an open secret, but was never officially confirmed until 2021 when President Tsai Ing-wen became the first Taiwanese leader to acknowledge U.S. troops were on the island in 1979. And there was some more news on Thursday related to U.S.-Taiwan increasing military uh, cooperation. The South China Morning Post reported that Taiwan is planning to send at least 500 troops to the U.S. for military training, which is way more than, than they usually send for training. Again, this represents a big increase. This is from a report from, the, from Taiwan's central news agency that said, this marks the first time troops at a battalion level, which is between 500 and 700 troops, usually will be traveling to the U.S. for training. Usually it would either be a platoon, which is 25 to 60 troops, or a company, which is 80 to 150. That's usually the numbers that they would send, but they're increasing that. And the reports came after U.S. and Taiwanese officials held talks in Washington, D.C., this was on Tuesday, and they they held talks at the de facto embassy there. And you know these talks are usually kept private. These talks happen often, but they were you know they told the media about them. They made them public. And this is the pattern that we're seeing. These you know unofficial exchanges between the U.S. and Taiwan that have been going on are increasing and are becoming more public. And a source told the Central News Agency, which is probably a Taiwanese source, that the public that this is all intentional. The source said, quote, usually plans like this would remain hush-hush to prevent drawing the ire of the Chinese communists. But with U.S.-Taiwan relations becoming more solid and U.S.-China rivalry intensifying, sometimes exposure of these activities is done intentionally to show the close cooperation and partnership between the U.S. and Taiwan, end quote. So a U.S. official told the Wall Street Journal that they were concerned about at what point is this going to you know, provoke China? And this official says they don't think what they're doing yet is going to, is objectionable to China or would reach a tipping point for China, as the official put it. But, you know, China has already responded to a lot of this stuff in a, what I think is a pretty big way by launching these huge military exercises around Taiwan. There's more military pressure on Taiwan right now. Just today, I saw the Taiwanese defense ministry say that a bunch of Chinese warplanes, you know, went over that median line that separates the Taiwan Strait, and they used to never do that. So Taiwan's under more military pressure as a result of all this, yet they act like nothing is, ha you know, nothing's happening here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, this is following that pattern, and and this came after Tsai, the Taiwanese president, met with Rokana and said, and said, you know, that we were increasing military exchanges, and then we see all these reports I think we're just going to keep seeing things like this. And this, again, despite the fact that it is provoking China, <laughs> you know, it is causing all these major military drills around Taiwan and, and they practice a blockade and, but they just keep doing it. The congressional visits keep coming and the U S military support for Taiwan keeps increasing. The next one here, more, uh, with China, the Philippines is in talks with the U S and Australia on joint South China sea patrols. So the Philippines uh, have said that they are in talks with not just the U.S., but also Australia on conducting joint maritime patrols in the South China Sea. This is something that would definitely raise tensions between the U.S. and China. 
A Philippine Coast Guard spokesman said this week that uh, announced these talks were going on and said that, you know, they're not finalized, but this guy said that it was a certainty that these joint patrols would happen. They said the Coast Guard, the U.S. Coast Guard over there in the South China Sea, the U.S. has deployed Coast Guard cutters over there in recent years. And the U.S. Navy is is down to do this, is what this uh, Coast Guard spokesman said. And Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense, basically confirmed this. He spoke with his Philippine counterpart on Tuesday and said uh, that they discussed proposals to deepen cooperation, including the recent decision to resume combined maritime activities in the South China Sea. So China, the Philippines, and several other Southeast Asian nations all have overlapping claims to the South China Sea. China has lays a pretty big claim. Taiwan also claims the, these waters. But if you see, if you're looking at the map here, uh, this blue line is Vietnam. They claim a pretty sizable chunk of the waters as well. Um, you know, and they all have overlapping uh, claims. Not, it's not just China. Uh, but Austin told, oh, so Austin spoke with his the Philippine defense minister about this encounter between a Chinese and Philippine boat that took place earlier in February. The Philippines said that the Chinese boat pointed a laser at them and they were upset about it. And these things happen. There's these standoffs around these uh, disputed rocks and reefs that both the Philippines and China claim. This one was near Second Thomas Shoal, which is uh, somewhere in this area, and it's controlled by the Philippines. But whenever these things happen, the U.S. comes out and says, we support the Philippines. Uh, and if any of their boats come under attack, we'll go to war. That's what they say. They say it will invoke uh, the mutual defense treaty, the U.S.-Philippines mutual defense treaty, which means, you know, if the Philippines is attacked, the U.S. will come to their defense. And they're saying that this applies to these boats in the South China Sea. And Austin repeated that on Tuesday. And now joint patrols. I mean, if American vessels are right there when these encounters happen, it just raises the risk of a conflict, you know, some stupid thing happening uh, because tensions are high and it, and it blowing up into something big, especially with the state of U.S.-China relations right now. So I think this is just another step in that direction, uh, you know. So Anyway, the, the next article here, China says that sending weapons into Ukraine will not bring peace. So China's representative to the UN on Thursday said that sending weapons to be used in the Ukraine war will not bring peace. And this comes as the U.S. is claiming Beijing is considering providing Moscow with military aid for the conflict. So this was at the UN General Assembly. General Assembly uh, and this was China's deputy ambassador to the UN, Dai Bing, he said, quote, one year into the Ukraine crisis, brutal facts have offered ample proof that sending weapons will not bring peace. Adding fuel to the fire will only exacerbate tensions and prolonging and expanding the conflict will only make ordinary people pay even an even heftier price, end quote. And he reiterated that China's position is that the warring sides should enter talks and reach a ceasefire as soon as possible. That's what China's been saying uh, for a while now, for all along, pretty much. And again, this comes after Blinken claimed that China is considering arming Russia. The Wall Street Journal reported on Thursday that the U.S. was considering releasing intelligence that shows that they say shows Beijing is weighing whether to supply Russia with weapons. But it's not clear what information the U.S. actually has. In the early days of the war, U.S. officials claimed that Russia asked China for military assistance 
but it was later revealed that they didn't have what U.S. officials called hard evidence to back up the claim. So who knows how true this is? Again, China and Russia do continue to draw closer together. Um, but then you see this Chinese official say, you know, sending weapons is not the answer. It doesn't seem like something they would say if, you know, their next step is to be sending weapons. So who knows? But it's a year into the war. Friday marks, you know, the one year since the invasion. And unfortunately, you know, there's no end in sight right now. All right. The next one here, the U.S. to send $10 billion in economic aid to Ukraine. So Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said this on Thursday that the U.S. is going to send another $10 billion in additional economic assistance in the coming months. Since Russia invaded Ukraine a year ago, the U.S. has given Kiev at least $13 billion in budgetary aid, which is aid that goes directly to the Ukrainian government to fund gov government services, pensions, and health care. That's what they're paying for. Uh, there was recently a video went viral of Biden saying that they were paying, you know, Ukrainian pensions. It was from a few months ago, but it, it just went around recently. So I thought I would could use this article as a way to explain that. Yeah, that this is they have been doing this. Um, and Yellen uh, discussed this again, said in the coming months, they're going to provide another 10 billion. And another important point is so far, Congress has authorized 113 billion dollars to spend on this war. And, you know, in a year. Uh, they're still using the $45 billion that they authorized in December that President Biden signed in December. So that's what they're spending. So when you see them say, oh, we're going to send $10 billion in economic aid, that's not on, that, that doesn't add up to the total of $113 billion. It's still being pulled from that. Just so, because sometimes people think it's, oh, now it's $123 billion, but that's not the case. Um, but according to a summary of the $45 billion aid package that was approved in December, $13 billion is allocated for economic and budgetary assistance. So $13 billion, that's a lot. Again, this money that's ha being handed to the Ukrainian government, despite, you know, their, that the fact that it's a notoriously corrupt government, which, you know, really came out uh, last month when there was that big corruption scandal and Zelensky fired a bunch of officials, you know. Um, so who knows what's really going on with this money that, that, that's being sent over there. Okay. The next one here, Victoria Newland, who's been talking quite a lot lately, the undersecretary of state for political affairs. She told the Russian news agency TASS on Thursday that the U S was ready to hold discussions with Russia on the new start treaty tomorrow. If Russia was willing to do the same. So her comments came after Putin announced that the, that Russia was suspending participation in the new start which limits the deployment of nuclear warheads and launchers and it's the last remaining nuclear arms control treaty between the u.s and russia so you know it's not good news and newland says we're ready to talk about it tomorrow if if russia is ready and um she said that they're ready to allow inspections because inspections under the treaty have been paused since march 2020 over the summer, the U.S. requested, said that they were going to send inspectors to Russia, but Russia said no, saying that their inspectors couldn't go to the U.S. because of sanctions. They eventually agreed to hold talks on it, but then Russia canceled at the last minute, citing tensions in Ukraine. And this is, um, and that's why, you know, really they suspended the new start because of the escalations from the U.S. And Russian officials, of quite a lot of them, have said since Putin announced the suspension that 
if the U.S. moves to de-escalate tensions, then, you know, we could quickly get back into this. This is temporary. And that would mean the U.S. would have to back down. And, and uh, we, we don't see any sign of that. Uh, Newland also discussed with TASS negotiations. She said that the U.S. would only support negotiations on this war if it was done under Zelensky's peace formula, which the Ukrainian peace demands are full Ru Russian withdrawal tribunal for war crimes as like, and those are their preconditions for talks. So it shows that the U.S. isn't serious about pushing for talks right now. There have been signs that they're telling Ukraine they got to start thinking about an end game here and might have to give up some of their demands. But right now, full steam ahead. Um, and it's always important to note because I've seen a lot of people in Congress actually making false claims that Russia has pulled out of nuclear treaties uh, recently, but that's not true. The U.S. is the is who pulled out of the anti-ballistic missile, missile treaty under Bush and then INF and the Open Skies Treaty under Trump. Okay, so the next one here. Um, Hungary is going to send a delegation to Sweden and Finland over their NATO bids. So the head of Hungary's ruling party in parliament said Thursday that Budapest is sending a delegation to Sweden and Finland to discuss their NATO bids. Now, I've been talking a lot about Turkey and Sweden and Finland joining NATO. We know that they oppose it. Hungary has been saying, yeah, we're going to we're going to approve it, but they still haven't brought it to their parliament. But here are some signs that maybe it won't. The ratification won't pass as easily as I kind of assumed because um, Hungary and Turkey are the only two uh, countries, NATO countries, that have yet to approve them joining. And Viktor Orban, uh, the prime minister, he previously said that his country supports them joining the alliance and that and Hungary's parliament is set to start debating ratifying their memberships next week. But this, uh, the head of Orban's Fidesz party, so this is the ruling party, Viktor Orban's party, the head of of that party in, in parliament said that a debate has, has emerged within the party over the Nordic nations joining the alliance. He said that some of the Fidesz party lawmakers resented the fact that, quote, politicians from these countries have insulted Hungary in crude, unfounded, and often vulgar manner in recent years, and now they are asking for a favor, end quote. So the hung Hungarian government has come under a lot of criticism from fellow EU nations, especially since Orban won re-election last year. They're trying to deny them uh, EU funding. Um, I don't know enough about the issues to say what it's really all about, but it seems like they don't like Orban and they don't like that he was elected. Um, and But anyway, this delegation is going to be sent to Sweden and Finland soon and they said it would not delay the parliament's plans to debate the issue next week. And he said that Orban still favors admitting the two countries into NATO, but some of the Fidesz members are arguing that expanding NATO could escalate the conflict, could escalate tensions with Russia, which is definitely true, especially, you know, when it comes to Finland, because they have that big border with Russia. So, and even though Turkey has been very critical of Sweden, they've said that they could approve Finland without Sweden. And um, Finnish officials recently said, I went over that, I think that was this week, early in the week, that um, Finnish officials said, yeah, it was over the weekend at the Munich Security Conference that they would join if Turkey just approved them and not Sweden before they said they were only going to join with Sweden. But now they're open to doing it, you know, by themselves. And again, they're the big one because they got that big border with Russia.
Uh, all right, the last news story here. Israel strikes Gaza as tensions soar following deadly West Bank raid. So Israeli fighter jets struck targets in the Gaza Strip on Thursday after rockets were fired from the besieged Palestinian enclave following a deadly raid in Nablus in the West Bank, which killed 11 people. So there were no reports of casualties on, on either side, um, but there's a picture here if you're watching columns of smoke we're seeing uh, rising from the buildings that were struck. The Israeli army tweeted that they targeted a weapons ma manufacturing site. Um, so... Yeah, tensions are still high. That's really just the point of of this article here. And um, you know, it, it seems like a Gaza, a big, another big Gaza war could could pop off at any moment now with all this violence in the West Bank and this new government. I mean, tensions are really high. The U.S. is sending Brett McGurk over there. McGurk is uh, the top Middle East official on the National Security Council, and I believe he's going to Israel. Um, he's going to the region. To discuss these tensions, so we'll see, uh, you know, what the U.S. I mean is going to say about it. But I don't think it's really going to have much impact. I think this new Israeli government is just going to do what they want. Um, anyway, that is it for the for the news for today. Go check out our viewpoints. We have one from Doug Bandow. What they did not talk about in Munich. That's over at the American Conservative. One from Ted Snyder. When Biden says, "As long as it takes," does Ukraine hear? That is at the Libertarian Institute. Uh, one from John and Nisha Whitehead. Endless wars are the enemy of freedom. And one from Judge Knapp. War and indifference. And the uh, spotlight, Ukraine maximalists on the right still dominate, but for how long? By William Ruger over at Responsible Statecraft. Um. Oh, we have a video uh, in the blog that was posted from The Spectator, and it is uh, John Mearsheimer talking about the war in Ukraine. That's always uh, interesting to listen to. Um, but that is it. That's it for the week. Again, good news about the Gates bill. We'll see how that goes. Hopefully it gets some support you know, on both sides of the aisle there, and I'll definitely uh, update you on that on Monday. Um you know, it would be good to really push it, I think, and uh, get the word out, maybe start calling some representatives and stuff like that. Uh, so, yeah, it's exciting. Um, but anyway, uh, that's it for me for the week. I will talk to you after the weekend. Thanks for listening. <laughs>